Today's reading is John 8, 2 through 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Well, now what do you say? They were, accusing, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the women still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, Grace Long Beach. All right. It's good to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, if you've been around this summer, you know we have been working our way through a series on the book of Jonah. Uh, Esther McCurry wrapped that up for us last week, and it was a treat. If you guys haven't had a chance to listen to it, check it out on the website. She did an incredible, incredible job last week. So we're done with Jonah. Uh, for the rest of our summer, we're going to be looking, we're going to be starting a new series. Uh, this is the fun title, Snapshots of Jesus. What do we mean by that? Snapshots of Jesus. So think about, um, you know, when you walk into someone's house and you see the, the photographs on the wall, that tells you something about what their family is like, right? Think about somebody's uh, Instagram feed, right? As you're, as you're scrolling through their Instagram pictures, you're getting snapshots or pictures or glimpses of what they're like, what's important to them, what they value. This is what we're going to do with Jesus. We're going to look at stories from Jesus's life throughout the Gospels to get a little clearer, hopefully, picture of what he's like. So we'll have people uh, here from Grace sharing with us. Next week, we have somebody uh, who's not from Grace, uh, Pastor Noemi Chavez from Revive Church, who has been here, I believe, last fall. She'll be preaching. Really excited for that. We'll hear from uh, Jake Barnes at some point. Um, I'll be back up here. Sorry, guys. Uh, but we're going to be looking at snapshots of Jesus this summer. So... The first snapshot we're going to look at is this story found in the book of John, starting in chapter 8, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Now, if you are somebody who likes to read the footnotes, the first thing you notice about this story is this note. Uh, especially if you're in the ESV, that's what our, our Bibles in the seats are. They're the ESV translation. If you don't have a Bible, that's right underneath your seat. Just reach a little bit further than you think you should, and you'll find it. Uh, it's blue, and it's, uh, we're on page 894 today. So I'm reading from the NIV, and it says, The earliest manuscripts and many other ancient witnesses do not have John 7:53 through 8:11. So what the heck do we do with that? Um, there are people much smarter than me that have written a lot about this. If you like those rabbit trails, Google it and have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. <laughs> this is what I've come to believe about this. Here's the reality. The earliest manuscripts do not have this passage. Plenty of early manuscripts have this passage. Okay? 
The very earliest don't, but it's not like a handful of them later do. Lots and lots and lots and lots of the early manuscripts have this passage. What can we glean from that? I think two things, two things for us to notice about this. Number one, the early church felt strongly enough about this story that they included it. There was something that was communicated about who Jesus is, what he's like, how he interacted with people that they felt like, yes, this needs to be in Scripture, okay? The early church felt really, really strongly about this story in order to include it. And the Spirit has kept it in the canon, that's what we call the collected Scriptures, throughout the ages, okay? So if we trust that God's word is authoritative, that he speaks through his people, that he is guiding history, the early church felt strongly enough to include it, and it's still here. That feels trustworthy to me, okay? If you still have questions, like I said, there's a ton of great articles. You can do the deeper dive. If that's what you're interested in, go for it. Blessings on you. But we're going we're gonna to trust that it's authoritative like the rest of God's word. So let's pick up in chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start in, in verse 2. And we're, we're going to get the setting of the story. What, what's going on? Where is it happening? It says, at dawn, he, meaning Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. So the setting of our story is the temple courts. Don't think grace sanctuary on a Sunday morning. No, the temple courts in Jesus's day, think if you could combine like Washington, D.C., um, Wall Street, and Hollywood in one place, that's the temple courts. This is the center of political life, uh, economic life, religious life, social life in ancient Israel, okay? This is where everyone went to find out what's going on. It's where everyone went to worship. It's where everyone went to connect to their cultural identity. This is the place to be. This, is, this would have been packed, super crowded, lots of people here from all over to, to see what was going on in Israel at this, at this time, in this day. And so Jesus shows up early in the morning and he sat down at the temple courts uh, to teach. Verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so we're talking about religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. And so church, this morning, I want us to see this woman. Like ask yourself, can you actually see this woman? Think about her day. She woke up. She was faced with a decision. Now, many of us have experienced this. You know what you should do, but you don't make that choice. You make the other choice. I mean, honestly, like, if we're honest with ourselves, because it's fun, 
because it's enjoyable or pleasurable, right? Like if sin was horrible, no one would do it. But there's something that entices us. And so this woman was enticed. And as she was in the act of committing adultery, imagine the religious leaders come in. We don't have these details, so we have to use a little creativity. Like, was it like, you know, like the SWAT team, like, kicking the door and rush in? We, we don't know. But we know she was caught in the act. Most commentators would say it was in the act. She may not have even had time to cover herself. She's grabbed. She's drugged out of the room. She's drugged down city streets. She would recognize the street. She would recognize the building. She knows where she's headed to the temple. Not to a church on Sunday morning, but to the center of political, economic, religious, cultural life. What was flashing through her mind? Who would she have seen along the way? Who would she be so fearful would be there at the temple? That rising sense of dread and anxiety and guilt and fear and shame mixed together. What would she be feeling? Church, can you see this woman? A group of men she probably didn't know dragging her unwillingly to the center of the temple. What do you think that would feel like? Have you ever felt exposed? She's drugged before Jesus. Now, there was enough of a buzz going around that surely she would have at least had some vague idea of who Jesus was. How would Jesus respond? What were the leaders going to say as they throw her into the middle of a circle near Jesus, surrounded by these religious leaders? And she hears the charge. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. And they were right. She can't deny it, right? She was caught in the act. It's not like, well, no, 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 it's not what it looks like. No, it was what it looked like. She's caught in the act of adultery. And the religious leaders, the experts of the law who have spent their entire life poring over the law, studying the law so that they could communicate to God's people what he required of them, studying past teachers who have also studied the law and learning their thoughts and interpretations about the law so that God's people could act in a distinct way to be a light to the nations, to be a welcoming, inviting nation that would welcome people in because we serve a God who welcomes people in. They could help hold the people accountable because they act different because God is different than the way the world works. These leaders who are supposed to be pointing people to God and what he's like in his love and his justice start quoting the law about this woman. The law says, the law of Moses says, if a woman is caught in adultery, she is to be stoned. What would she be feeling at that moment? She is to be stoned. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Verse 6 gives us a clue. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing her. So we need to ask, what's the trap? What's the trap that they're setting? If the law says a woman must be stoned, a woman must be stoned. What's going on? 
John gives us a clue. We begin to see the religious leaders scheme in this because the law does say if someone's caught in adultery, they should be stoned. But what the law actually says or more fully says is that both parties must be stoned. It takes two to tango. Where is the man? She was caught in the act. The man was there. Where is the man? Now, the law goes on further. The law also says in order for somebody to be stoned for committing adultery, there must be two witnesses. Neither witness can be the spouse of either participant so that there's no entrapment. Where are the witnesses? The law says that the participants must be stoned. And to make sure that the witness isn't bearing false witness, the witnesses will cast the first stone. If their testimony is not accurate, if they are lying, if they are setting people up, then judgment will fall upon them and they too will be stoned. So we don't have the guy. We don't have the witnesses, and now this helps us understand how Jesus responds. Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And I love this picture of Jesus, right? Because remember what's going on here. We're at the temple. Everything's chaotic. It's busy. It's hectic. People are going everywhere. Now we've created the scene, right? There's all the crowds. What's going to happen with this woman? She's clearly caught in the act of adultery. Like, no doubt, looky-loos are coming to see what's going on. We have the religious leaders who are trying to trap, trap Jesus, and it says they're questioning him and questioning him over and over. Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Everything feels chaotic. And then we have Jesus. Calm present. Kneels down. Writes in the dust. Now, if you start to read commentators, there's all kinds of theories about what he was writing in the dust. He was writing the law. He was writing a list of names that these men had lusted after, and that's the connection in the gotcha moment. There's all of these. We don't know what he wrote, but we know he was calm. We know as her world was spinning out of control, she could look at Jesus. He was calm. He was present. He's actually upholding the law. Go ahead. If you're without sin in this matter, go ahead. Cast the first stone. Because they're, remember, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap Jesus. Here's the trap. The law of Moses prescribes, if this is done correctly, that they should be executed. Well, the they is not there. We just have the her. That she should be executed. However, Israel is under Roman occupation. Roman law, according to the Romans, trumps the law of Moses. Israel does not have authority to execute one of its citizens under the law of Rome. So what is Jesus to do? Obey the law of Moses and violate the law of Rome? Obey the law of Rome and violate the law of Moses? The religious leaders at this point are really like, we got him. Like, they're ready for, like, the mic drop, walk off the stage, like, Jesus is done, we can go on with whatever they were doing, right? Tithing mint and dill and these types of things and, and neglecting justice. And Jesus just says, that's fine. 
Whoever of you is without sin, whoever of you really cares about the law and is not actually trying to trap Jesus, but cares about this woman and her obedience to God, her holiness, because God's people are called to have live missional lives displaying what God is like. And part of that is God is faithful, so we are to be faithful. If you actually care about that, cast the first stone and calm Jesus just goes back to writing in the dust. He's not worried. But church, can you see this woman in this moment? Like, I, I, I'm so fascinated by this story. Like, I wonder what would her body be doing? She's surrounded by these men with stones. Would she be trying to cover herself up in modesty? Would she be trying to protect her head and vital organs, just waiting for the stones to come? Would she be curled up on the ground in the fetal position? Would her eyes be open so she could see stones coming? Would she be closed eyes trying to look away and just wish to be anywhere else on earth in this moment? I wonder if her eyes were closed and just waiting, just body tense, just waiting for the, the, the blunt trauma of stones to be thrown at her, and then she hears something. Imagine that moment, eyes closed tightly, and she hears the first stone hit the ground. It had to be too good to be true. There was a crowd after her. And then the second stone, and the third stone, and the fourth stone. At what point would she have dared to peek? At what point would she have opened her eyes to see the men turn around and walk away? Can you see this woman brought before Jesus, facing her rightful accusers? In living the verse that Paul has not yet written, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Can you see this woman? At this, verse 9, those who had heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. After this moment, neither do I condemn you. Imagine what that would have felt like, the weight that would have been lifted. Jesus declaring, neither do I condemn you. I, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't imagine it. I can't imagine that public, public humiliation, the shame, the guilt, the way she was misused, mistreated, uh, abused for someone else's gain. We're concerned about her. We're concerned with trapping Jesus. And their mic drop trap blew up in their face. And she's left standing there face to face with Jesus. Can you put yourself in her shoes? Sandals, barefoot probably. <laughs> Jesus looking at you, neither do I condemn you. This, I don't know about you, this resonates with me, 
right? For anyone who, who has felt mistreated by others, like, can you see this woman? Can you see yourself in this woman? The ways that we have been sinned against, we can bring to Jesus. The ways we've been manipulated, the ways we've been mistreated, the ways we've been lied to and used for someone else's gain, we can bring that to Jesus. Neither does he condemn you. That past, that hurt, that shame, the broken promises, the abandonment, whatever the thing is for you individually, the things that should not have been done, we can bring to Jesus. And when there's a circle of accusers shouting what we feel may be right or accurate, when we come to Jesus, he makes those crowds disappear. And he looks at us in our eyes, past our shame, past our guilt, and he says, neither do I condemn. And church, I wish that it ended there. I wish that that's where the period was. Neither do I condemn you. There's been sin that's done. Maybe you've said, it's okay. Neither do I condemn you. It's okay. There's welcome. There's acceptance. There's forgiveness. That is all true. That is all true. But there's another side to the story that we need to consider. The, the end of the verse says this. And neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, it would be way easier if all we heard was neither do I condemn you. But that's not where Jesus ends the sentence. Go now and leave your life of sin because here's the reality. As much as we need to see this woman, there's another side to this story. And it sounds more like, look at that woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. She did not take her covenant to her husband and her family and her God seriously. She chose sin that day. She did not take the other participant's covenant to his spouse and his family and his children and his God seriously. She sinned. She actually deserved the judgment. And as easy as it would be to stand up here and just tell you guys, look, there's no condemnation. Neither does Jesus condemn you. That is true, but that is only half of the story. Because yes, we have all been sinned against. And you know what? We choose sin willingly. There are those things that we do not want to do that we continue to do. There are the ways that we use power to get what we want for our comfort, regardless of how it impacts other people. There are the things that we turn to looking for relief and ultimately salvation that are not Jesus and do not fulfill, and we know they don't fulfill, and we keep going back to them. Look at that woman. Look at what she did. I know for a number of us, Parents have been divorced. We understand the fallout. We understand the two Christmases and two Thanksgivings and two birthdays. We understand that it doesn't just affect the kids, but now the grandkids. This is my experience. I thank God for my stepmom. She is incredible. She is my mom. And we know the realities of divorce. Sin breaks things. 
It distorts things. It is not the way it ought to be. And while we all experience it and it's done to us, we do it as well. I mean, I think about like my own kids, right? At no point when they were like babies or toddlers, I was like, you know, it'd be a great idea. Let's teach them to lie when they get in trouble. Aaron and I never taught them that. At no point were we like, you know what would make for an awesome weekend? If our boys just punch each other all the time. Let's teach them to fight. No. That's just in us, all of us, not just my kids, but all of us. We have that. I mean, you think about this. I guarantee, only I know this because I sin. (laughs) This woman didn't wake up thinking like, I'm going to go, you know, do the thing. And then I'm going to get caught, and I'm going to be drugged in front of the temple courts, and I'm going to be placed in front of Jesus, and there's going to be all these people with stones. No, guarantee, she never thought that. You know why? We all think we can get away with it. We all think that we're going to be the smartest people, like we know all the people who have been caught up in whatever our sins are, but it's going to be fine. It's not going to affect other people. That's a lie. We believe all of these same lies that this woman believed because we all have this sin nature. I deserve it. Like, it's not a big sin, right? It's not like the woman caught in adultery, but whatever my sin is, like, you know, you know, like little white lies, right? It's just like a little white sin. It's not like a really, 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 like, I watch serial killer documentaries. It's not like that kind of sin, right? I deserve this sin. That's a lie. You don't. And you know how hard the last few years have been? Oh, just a few extra drinks. Just a little more, whatever makes you feel better. You think about how crazy the world has been. We deserve it, right? No, we don't. We don't. But we tell ourselves these lies, just like she told herself, probably very similar lies. It's going to be okay. It's not that bad. We can get away with it. Those are not true. Sin is real and we are guilty. As unpopular as that message is, sin is real and we are guilty. We need to look at that woman. Because in looking at that woman, we realize that that same sin is in us. We come to Jesus and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Notice the order of the words. He doesn't say, leave your life of sin, and then you can come to me, and I won't condemn you. (laughs) No, 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 no. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And church, here's the reality. If anyone who has ever lived other than Jesus is saying, go leave your life of sin, it falls flat. I can't tell you go leave your life of sin because I continue to sin every day. No one in this room can tell us, look, leave your life of sin. And there are some godly people in this room, like, hear me. But under what authority? Only Jesus, who went to the cross to take our sins upon himself, can tell us, go now and leave your life of sin. Think about these similarities, right? Jesus, who in a few chapters later in the book of John, would be stripped naked by the Roman soldiers, not stripping like this woman to commit the act of adultery. Jesus, who later would be brought before the crowds, who would demand the release of Barabbas, 
and not have them turn around like this woman experienced. He is the one who can tell us, leave your life of sin. Jesus, who didn't get to hear the stones fall, but instead felt the hammer and nails, is the one who can tell us, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus, who lived the perfect life and took our sin upon himself for our salvation, is the one who gets to tell us, neither do I condemn you. Go now and live your life, leave your life of sin. That's the snapshot I want us to look at for two reasons, for many. One, because the sins that we carry that have been committed against us are too heavy for us to carry. Bring them to Jesus because he cares. And two, because the sins that we are trying to cover up, it's a weight we no longer need to carry. It's too heavy for us. We can bring them to Jesus because he cares for us. Because there is hope in this story about this woman. We need to see this woman, the way she was misused, because we have been misused. We need to look at that woman and the choices that she's made, because we make similar choices. And the reality is neither of those things surprise Jesus. He still welcomes us into the family. He still offers no condemnation. He still doesn't leave us as we are, but tells us, go now and leave your life of sin because he has the authority and the power and the love to make good on those statements, to welcome us with no condemnation, and to empower us to go and leave our lives of sin. This can mean a number of things for a number of people in this room. And uh, I, I don't know what all of those things could be. But the really good news is God does. The Spirit knows what he's been stirring up in you as you've been listening to the word of God. The Spirit knows those things that maybe you have not told anyone else that are starting to bubble to the surface. That's how the Spirit works. And the Spirit works in community. And so at this point, we have an opportunity to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to leave a few moments of silence for you to pray by yourself. And if you are feeling moved or led or curious or whatever you're feeling, look to someone near you. There will be prayer people on the sides that would love to pray with you. There will be opportunities for us to pray. Call of Jesus is to understand that we are no longer condemned, to come to him, to turn to him, and to leave our life of sin. If you've been around church for a while, this may seem like a very basic message. Let's pray that we never grow tired of it because it's true and it's good. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, so much of me wishes I could have been a fly on the wall and watched this scene unfold. I would have loved to have seen what your eyes looked like as you were looking at this woman, as you spoke these words that there is no condemnation. I imagine your arms reaching out towards her in love, in forgiveness, in protection, 
Jesus, we realize that that is the same way you look at us with whatever we bring. This snapshot, as relevant as it was <laughs> uh, 2,000 years ago, is still relevant today. So would you stir up in us continued desire to love you, to worship you, to follow you, Jesus, to trust you with the things that are so hard and scary and, and, and the things we don't even want to name, you invite us to receive your forgiveness and your love there also. Jesus, would you give us courage? Would you give us courage to reach out to you in prayer? Would you give us courage to reach out to one another in prayer? Would you give us courage to trust you with these hard things? Because where else would we go? Jesus, we take a moment of quiet as we turn to one another in prayer, as we continue to be led by Mike and Dan in singing. Would you continue to speak to us? Would you continue to remind us of your love for you? Would you continue to call us to yourself? We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.